And the cool part about automation is when someone goes into a role that involves, let's say, a more creative way of doing their manufacturing job, it's usually more fulfilling and better paying as well. You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders and industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host, Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Benjamin. Great to have you on the show. Could you give me a short overview of who you are and what you are doing? Yeah, so my name is Chris Lukey. I have worked in the manufacturing industry for over a decade, largely on the automation side, largely with Rockwell Automation and other companies within their organization. But in addition to that, I also help manufacturers tell their story to their ideal audience in a simplified way. And the embodiment of that is a podcast that I've run for coming up. I mean, it's been over five years now called Manufacturing Happy Hour, where the premise of the show is we talk about trends like digitization as if we were having a beverage with one. Great. So we are talking from podcast host to podcast host today. Where are you located right now, Chris? Milwaukee, Wisconsin is where I call home. So the heart of Midwest manufacturing in the Midwest here in the United States. So you are sitting in the United States and I'm sitting here in the center of Europe. And today we want to talk about digitalization on different levels, of course, in the context of manufacturing. But we want to start to take a look on the high level. So what is the state of um, digitalization in the United States, in Europe. And then we would like to go a little bit deeper. So basically talking about it on the company level of the manufacturers and on the workforce level. So what does it mean for the workers in the shop floor? So first of all, I would like to understand what is the state of digitalization in America from your opinion? So it's interesting. We've chatted before, Benjamin, and when I think about the state of digitization in America, I think of really the state of manufacturing in America. Mm -hmm. And it is an industry that at this moment is becoming more in vogue. For the past couple decades, really even longer than that, we've been very attracted to working in software. And before that, it was working in finance, industries that people might call sexy. But right now, mm -hmm. I would say in the U.S., and this, these are lessons that I've learned from my guests on the podcast, with the state of technology right now, with the way it's being integrated into plant floors, we're having what I would call a manufacturing renaissance here in the U.S. We're still in the early stages of it. I wouldn't say it's the industry that people are flocking to 
right out of college. But we are at a moment where people are seeing the value again in going to a trade school, getting an associate's degree and starting a career without debt. So we're seeing a manufacturing resurgence right now. And part of that Mm -hmm. is the fact that it's becoming more high tech. It's not your grandfather's factory anymore. It's a place that, hey, Gen Z, millennials, they're used to being on their phone and their tablets and operating their life that way. Manufacturers have been doing a good job of integrating those technologies into their plant floors and their enterprises. I assume you have a lot of guests from United States, but probably some other guests um, from around the world as well, probably from Europe as well. If you compare the state of manufacturing in United States with the state of manufacturing, for example, in Europe, do you see significant differences? I, I do. I don't know if I'd call them significant, but I'll reflect on an episode I did with John Dyke from Sesme recently, specifically around the topic of smart manufacturing. He was saying that when it comes to smart manufacturing, in many ways, Europe is ahead of the curve than the United States. And there are a couple th- reasons that, that he brought that up. One being that in Europe, manufacturing has often been seen as a more prestigious industry than it has in the United States in recent years, maybe across history as well. So that was one thing that stuck out from that conversation. He also talked about this willingness to share information. There's more of a community around advancing smart manufacturing as a whole, where in the US, we get very competitive. We're worried about our own enterprises and our own operations. So Reflecting on that, and and as someone that lives in the U.S. and, as you said, talks to a lot of people from the United States, I'm always interested to learn what are other regions doing well, whether it's, Mm -hmm. hey, what's the West Coast of the U.S. doing well, or what is Europe doing well? So not to sound like a a Europe fanboy in terms of what you've done for manufacturing, but I look to Europe as a spot where I've been learning some things from recently in the context of manufacturing. And do you think it's just a matter of technology, which is available, for example, or is it a matter of cultural things as well, that there is a different mentality or something like that? I think cultural is a big way to describe it. I think technology follows culture, because if you think about it, Germany has had a robust trades and apprenticeship program. Not to say that we don't do that in the US, but apprenticeships, you have a formal mentor, you have credentials, and these credentials are transferable. In the US, it's been more tribal knowledge, if you will, when people jump Mm -hmm. from company to company. So I think using Germany as an example, the formality of the program that allows someone to transfer from one spot to the other and have a company know what skill set they're going to get from that individual, I think that has helped in terms of that cultural element that has made manufacturing maybe a bit more accessible or has provided some advantages in terms of its ability to advance. Are you talking about United States as one country or do you see specific regions which are faster or slower? Because I'm a little bit surprised about your opinion that you, for example, see Europe in front of United States when it comes to the state of manufacturing. And I see it different. Of course, I don't have uh, your picture. I do not see what's going on in detail in the United States. But sometimes I feel that Europe is not bold enough and probably a little bit too slow. And when it comes to technology adoption in general, I think 
United States is a is a clear front runner. You are fast, you are bold, but probably not all over the whole country. Yeah, good, great point. And I think there's an opportunity for both perspectives here because I'm largely sharing this from, hey, what are some of the things that Europe does well and has historically done well? But there are other regions in the United States that I think are natural innovation leaders. If you look to Silicon Valley, for example, I lived there from 2015 to 2020, and it was right as Tesla was starting to ramp up. And this idea of an auto manufacturer in Silicon Valley was, to an extent, many people thought it was absurd at the time. But while maybe they could have followed some of the best practices of the auto industry that Detroit had established for years and years and had done so when done a really good job of rolling out new lines, rolling out new models, rolling out new projects. I think one thing, an example of where does the US innovate and move fast was Tesla adopted a bit of a software company mentality. It's like, we're going to move fast and break things. We're not just going to necessarily follow the playbook. And that has its pros and cons. But one of the pros was it got other companies innovating, other automotive manufacturers innovating in the US. And it fundamentally changed a little bit of how we think about manufacturing and what's possible, whether it's where you're manufacturing or what type of product you're manufacturing, or how you're going to manufacture it. To your point, I have trouble saying, hey, the US or Europe, are one is better than the other. You can look at macroeconomic trends, exports, GDP, and get that information. What I really like focusing on is, what are these different regions doing well, and what can we learn from each of those regions? You mentioned Tesla as well. So let's go on the company level. We go a little bit deeper coming from the macro level. When we talk about digitizing a factory, sometimes it feels like a buzzword for me. For example, here in Europe, we talk about industry 4.0 since 10 years or even more. And the real question behind it is, is there a real benefit behind digitalization or are there connected factors that are connected digitalization, but digitalization is not the core of the benefit for the company. Do you get my point? So do you see it as a buzzword sometimes? I do. It depends. It, there, there are some companies that use it as a buzzword and there are some companies that use it as part of their mission. And I'll go deeper with that because digitization is just one piece of the industry 4.0 puzzle. I was talking to Jeff Winter recently, industry 4.0 expert on manufacturing happy hour. And he was describing digital transformation as the activity that takes place amongst this industry 4.0 cultural shift. Industry 4.0 is the moment of time we're in right now. And, and I know I'm not quoting Jeff exactly correctly. I'm paraphrasing a bit here. But mm -hmm. where I'm going with this is digitization can be more than a buzzword when you combine it with people and processes. And I'm sure I'm not the first person that's brought this up on your show before. I think of digitization as just one element of the, the technology, but digitization doesn't mean much unless a company has identified what their mission is and what they want to improve or do better or who they want to serve more effectively. Digitization is only important, in my opinion, if you have a bigger goal, whether it's, hey, our operation has been growing. We need a way to scale up and we need software platforms that allow us to do that. Or 
hey, our company has been running into some quality issues. And quite frankly, it's because we don't have visibility across our operation or our supply chain like we'd like to. Digitization in that case is a tool or really a set of tools that helps you accomplish that goal. But I think what we need to continue to stress, and because there's so many manufacturers at different parts of their journey, we need to continue to stress the importance of having that upfront goal, identifying what your mission is and what you want to accomplish through digitization. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense for me. And as you said, I hear that sometimes, not a lot, but sometimes in my podcast, when I speak with manufacturing companies or leaders of manufacturing companies, I don't hear that that often because what you hear oftentimes is something like, we need to digitalize. We are lagging behind, so now we do it. And then it's mm -hmm. about digitalization and not about the higher goal, as you said. And I think this is a very important point that you are bringing up, which should be on our plate even more in future. Yeah, I think part of it comes down to the leadership that you have in place. And do they have a long-term perspective around their operation? Because when I hear someone is digitizing for the sake of digitizing because they feel the need to catch up, what I hear mm -hmm. is they're just throwing technology at their current situation without a lot of rhyme or reason. When a true manufacturing leader is going to take a step back and look at, okay, maybe our factory, as an example, is not operating as effectively as it could today. What are those reasons and how might digitization be a tool to help with some of those areas? Because it might not be the answer across the board. It could be workforce. It could be how are we hiring and retaining the right people? Digitization can play into that, but it's not necessarily the first answer to your question all the time. In our preparation call, we talked about future-proofness as well. And funny enough, this podcast is called Future-Proof Operations Podcast. But you said you don't like future proof. So it's some kind of buzzword for you. And we brought it into the context of digitalization because my question has been, is digitalization something like that has an incremental benefit for companies or can it be one or zero decision at some point that you are lagging behind that much as a manufacturing company that you are going out of the market because you didn't digitalize? So what is your opinion on that? I think there will be a threshold where companies that have failed to digitize or really evolve their culture and their business will have that going out of business moment at some point. If they mm -hmm. don't, especially when you have companies like Amazon that evolve so quickly and just disrupt the retail industry, they're constantly reinvesting in their business. At some point, some retailers aren't going to be able to keep up with that. But I do think digitization when done right is an incremental benefit. And I look at your podcast when you talk about future proofing. I think future proofing is a great word, actually. I, <laughs> I <you>. think, <laughs> uh, again, it just depends on how people are using it, right? Is it a buzzword yeah. or is it something that we're using in a meaningful way? Future proofing an operation, in my opinion, involves a few things. I'll highlight a couple of them specifically in the context of digitization. If I want to future proof my operation, I need to make sure I'm going to be able to scale or pivot easily. I need to have software platforms and tools that allow me to say, okay, we need to build another line. We're building another factory somewhere else in the world, and we need to tie it into our systems quickly so we can see inventory, we can see where things are going, we can see where things are backordered. 
So you need digital platforms that are scalable in that regard. Or as flexible manufacturing becomes more in vogue, you need to be able to easily pivot to a new product area. So these are areas where digitization plays into future proofing. But future proofing is not just digitization in in my perspective. It's do you Mm -hmm. have a succession plan? What is your training program? What is your development program to get people to join your company, stay at your company, and move up through the company? Because that's just as, if not as important for future-proofing an operation as the digital side of things. Because again, going back to people, processes, and technology, if you don't have that people element put in place, well, hey, it doesn't matter how well you've digitized or how well you can scale. You're going to have people running around without a plan and potentially not giving a company that future looking window that it needs or not giving them the, the, the long runway for the future that they really need. If I'm a leader of a manufacturing company that's digitizing, I'm not thinking in two to three year increments. I'm thinking in 10 year increments. That's how I'm mm-hmm. thinking about how the business could evolve. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a long term game. You mentioned people already, Chris. So let's talk about the workforce within the factory. When we talk about digitalization or automation, oftentimes we have that big question, is it replacing the workforce or is it empowering them? How do you see that? I mean, I I see it as empowering just because you look anywhere, we can't find the people for these jobs right now. I was just talking to the president of a local technical college on manufacturing happy hour just last week. And he was explaining about a company that had started their automation journey a couple of years ago. And I think at the time they might have had two individuals like working on the lines or 15 individuals working on the lines, whatever it was. But the point of his example was as they started to automate to keep up with production, every single one of those people was elevated to a higher level role, a different role, whether that's being an automation lead, whether that's being a controls engineer, whether that's being not to this example specifically, but what some people call a robot wrangler or a crew chief, someone that's responsible for the Mm -hmm. robots on the shift. Right now, population is only continuing to decline, right? So we should not be worried about automation taking jobs when at the end of the day, we're not going to have the people to fill these jobs anyway. And the cool part about automation is when someone goes into a role that involves, let's say, a more creative way of doing their manufacturing job, it's usually more fulfilling and better paying as well. Mm -hmm. You mentioned coaching and upskilling already. Is it a factor that is getting more important in future to coach and train the workforce in the factory better or faster? Yeah, I think it's not just limited to the factory as well. I look at it as similar to the conversation we were just having when I was at that technical college recently. It involves colleges and universities involving evolving the way they teach and graduate folks. I heard a powerful stat on the podcast recently that in the United States, only 20% of grad college graduates end up using the direct degree they got for the job that they got. I'm a perfect example. I got a manufa- I got a mechanical engineering degree. I've been in sales and marketing for most of my career. And I don't want to use that as a blanket statement to say, hey, that, that engineering degree did not help me with that because it absolutely did. But to answer your question, I, don't, I, I 
not only does it go back to, yes, we need upskilling programs within the companies that are trying to retain and attract more talent, but we also need to make sure we're preparing people for the jobs that actually exist on the front end as well. So I'm starting to see universities here create AI programs, like practical AI mm -hmm. programs for manufacturing systems, integration programs, automation programs, and robotics programs already exist. So I think part of it, it's not just the training that goes into those, into the factories, into those companies, but it's also how are we getting people prepped for that in advance? Mm -hmm. Okay. Chris, now I need your help. Okay. Let's assume I'm an owner of a manufacturing company. I have around about 500 employees and I'm lagging behind. So there's a lot of paper in my factory. The technology is a little bit old-fashioned. When I take a look to my teams, they are probably a little bit hesitant to work with new tools, with software and so on. So digitalization will be probably not that easy because they are hesitant. What are the first steps I need to go as a owner of a manufacturing company when I want to start the journey? This is my opinion, my perspective. There are a lot of other valid thoughts on this. I would take a two-prong approach. The first thing mm -hmm. is if I'm the leader of that 500-person factory, that 500-person team, I need to spend time walking the floor seeing how folks are doing things and really absorb what is taking place. And I need to look at how my factory is performing relative to that to figure out what are the biggest pain points. Is it throughput? Is it quality? Is it scrap? Look at what the big change that needs to occur to help future-proof my operation and identify that as the goal that we're going to work towards. That's what our digitization efforts, that's what our training efforts, that's what our process improvement efforts are going to go towards. So you have that big goal. And what I would say, this is one of the most powerful pieces of advice I ever received on the podcast. Bob Murphy, retired executive from Rockwell Automation, who led Rockwell Automation's own digital transformation. After they identified what their goal was, they put together a cross-functional team involving people from OT, operations, technology, the plant floor, as well as IT, information technology. Mm -hmm. You need people talking to one another that could potentially block a project at some point, right? You need these different organizations working together on the front end to make digitization and make a transformational nation possible. My friend Brian Evergreen, he describes this as creating a pilot purgatory steamroller. You want the right people talking to one another so you don't get stuck at limbo and your big plan to digitize to achieve your goals. Again, whether that's improving throughput, scaling, or re improving quality, reducing scrap, whatever it is, you need that cross-functional team working together mm -hmm. to make that a reality. Here's the last thing I'll say on this topic. Once you identify that big goal, if you have people that are on the plant floor, like you said, that might be hesitant to adopt new technology, I also like this idea of micro transformations. Not everything needs to be the big, massive, enterprise-wide transformation. There are experiments you can do along the way to get people comfortable with transformation. As someone that worked for Fix Software, CMMS systems are something that come to mind. 
And that's a way of digitizing the way maintenance work orders get done. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. it's one of the simpler, lower cost, I would say, micro digital transformation solutions, if you will. A CMMS system, I think, is great for that type of thing. So you can start getting people used to moving away from those paper ways of tracking and monitoring performance and using a digital tool that, quite frankly, they can use their phone for, they can log into their workstation. You know, once you start getting people bought into that, you will have more success rolling out other transformational efforts. And the last thing I'll say, I know this has been a long answer, look to the (laughs) team members on the floor for ideas. Igor Marinelli, he's the uh, founder of Traction. He talked about this in depth when we spoke. And he talks about the importance of if you want to really make improvements on your plant floor, you need to look to the people that are out there that are working day to day and have them experiment with ideas. Because quite frankly, the more the team members, the more the users of the technology are bought in, and particularly if it's ideas that they are bought into and help develop, you're going to have way more success. So I named a lot, right? I said, I'll I'll do a quick recap. So it's having an executive, it's having a leadership team that understands the goal. It's putting together... So getting getting your hands dirty as a as an owner of a manufacturing company, you need to go on the shop floor and understand the problems yes, yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you're the leader, understand the problems, put together your cross-functional team so you can make those big decisions without blaming one department for getting in the way. And then look at micro transformations you can do with the folks on the factory floor and take their ideas as well. Those are kind of the, the four bullets, I think, from that long answer. Yeah, I like that. It's a great advice. And especially the point with the micro improvements or the experiments is a very important one because I experience it myself when I talk with manufacturing companies. Probably it's a German thing or a European thing, but it's oftentimes about when we do it, we want to do it all over. We want to do it right. And then you are building up a big project, probably a big waterfall project. And the thing is getting bigger and bigger and nobody is starting at all to try something out. And if you do that experiments, you can be much, much faster and then iterate like you do it in software development for example yeah no this is a great great question good yeah we talked uh, about the state of manufacturing and it was inspiring for me to talk with you chris my last question is taking a look into the future we talked about tesla for example and you said tesla brought in a lot of new impulses in the area of manufacturing they have a lot of automation a lot of digital stuff going on in the factory now we have an era where i think There's a lot of stuff going on with AI, for example. So the pace of new technology is some kind of increasing. And my question is, if you take that into account, how are you envisioning the factory 10 years from now? So how would it look like? I mean, this seems like a very basic answer that I'm going to give you, but it's going to be way more automated. That's the simple truth. Because if I look, you've probably heard the term Industry 5.0 by now, right? People are talking about, oh, it's Industry 4.0, but with people, I'm like, why are we talking about Industry 5.0 when I think most people are still trying to catch up to Industry 4.0? Exactly. Like We talk about factories that are digitized, but those are still the exception, not the rule, especially when you Mm -hmm. think about smaller, mid-sized manufacturers, mom and pop manufacturers, we call them in the US. My Mm -hmm more specific prediction is we're going to start seeing more of those small mom and pop 
manufacturers automate and bring in some of these technologies that may have been limited to the big enterprise manufacturers in the past. So more automation across the board, but I think we're really going to see that start to come up with the the smaller mid-sized manufacturers for a number of reasons, right? More people are catching on. The big folks have proved it out. Some automation technologies are decreasing. There's new ways to purchase automation technology through an operations budget rather than a CapEx budget. A lot of reasons for that, but that's my main prediction for the future. Chris, thanks a lot for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for the great questions. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.